Happy New Year, people. You're tuned in to episode 51 of The Film File, the film show for new millennial geeks by old millennial geeks. Hey, and welcome. Happy New Year, folks, to 2021, which for for me growing up was a series set in the deep, dark future. (laughs) But now I'm living it. And you know what? It's still the deep, dark future. Well, this is the year of Mad Max, isn't it? It is the year of Mad Max. Yes, that other voice is the voice you've all missed. Unless you've tuned in over the season, that voice you hear is Mr. Andy Meakin. Hey! Hi, guys. It's <laughs> really good to be back recording live. I enjoyed putting those two special episodes together. They were great. Reviews, and I, I, I enjoyed listening back to them. It was, it's bizarre to say that I've gone from that stage where you feel uncomfortable hearing your own voice to being quite happy to hear the banter that we do. Because when I first started editing these shows, oh, man, I cringed every time I said something. But now I'm realizing, you know what? We rock. <laughs> we do we do rock and so we've progressed and and that's what i enjoyed about listening back to them is is one thing i do hate listening back to myself when i had to do it on on radio when i had a regular show and i had to go back and edit it myself i, I just cringed but it was it was nice to see how we progressed as a show how the other how shows move forward and and how much i enjoy listening to it with that little bit of distance rather than going oh i wish i'd said that or, or didn't we do this yeah and just having that distance on it to, to to pick it up. But but how was Christmas anyway, apart from putting together a couple of comps? It was what it was, wasn't it? it, it Christmas for me has always been just close family anyway, because I live away from my parents and my main, like my extended family. It's always just been me, wife, kids, and then my sister and her fella come round on Christmas Day to swap presents. So it wasn't really generally for Christmas itself, much different to what we normally have. It's New Year that was different for us, because normally New Year is friends all around on New Year's Eve, and we sit, we drink, we play games, but it was just family this time. Exactly the same for me. We we did a family one with my, my partner's uh, parents, uh, which was nice. We cooked, which I enjoyed doing, even though it, I, I now realise why my mum thought it was so stressful for so many years. It was Boxing Day when I missed it, and, and Boxing Day was the hard one because either we'd go somewhere or we'd have people over, and and I found that is when it is when it kicked in for me. And then New Year, of course, because you know normally you don't do anything massive, but you either just have friends over or just nip round to some friends' yeah. houses. And and I, I wanted it to be over by eleven o'clock. I was I was fading fast and ended up watching other people's fireworks displays, and that was about it. So it was a quiet one and not unenjoyable. Uh, it was nice to have a break. It was nice to sort of refresh the batteries. Of course, we come back, and I don't want to sound like we're starting off our first show with being a bit moany, but we come back into um, lockdown part three. And like most threequels, the, the 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 interesting elements have gone, and they really feel as though they're clutching at straws with the plot now. And even though they managed to get a lot of the same cast back, it's not. I'm not feeling it this time. <laughs> An interesting parallel that you drew there. <laughs> Have you set up, I mean, has anyone set up an actual New Year's resolution this year? Yeah, not to make one, really, not to make any New Year's (laughs) resolutions. I think we're just carrying over what we did last year, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah, I think there was a certain expectation, I think, you know, for a lot of us, uh, myself included, we have put together little milestones, which when we pass, we think we're one step closer to normality. Uh, and, And we were talking this before we started recording. We knew that, though, that normality wasn't going to be January. But I think there was that hope when you enter 2021 that 
you know, you'd left 2020 behind, but no, it, it has that, that lingering uh, aftertaste, a bit like bad whiskey. Last year, my resolution was to, because I'd set up a letterbox account about three years ago and I've never used it. So last year, from January the 1st onwards, I logged every film that I watched last year. Oh, wow. And I rated them as well. Um, I, I did reviews for some of them, but most of them I just did the star ratings. And in total last year, I think I, I achieved something because I got 380 films watched which was 709.9 hours of movie watching. This is what I love about Letterboxd. It keeps the stats of everything you've done. 15% of the films that I watched were from 2020, which means that 59 films out of what I watched were from 2020. So anyone who said that no films came out last year, you're, you're not looking in the right places. And I've seen good and I've seen bad. I revisited all the MCU. I revisited all the Star Wars films. I revisited Star Trek, Harry Potter, and I've now started on a full Pixar watch, including shorts. Wow. So I have been fully active on Letterboxd and really embrace it. It's a great way because every now and then you get the, have you seen that film? Oh, yeah, I think I have. What, what did you say it was again? I can go on Letterboxd now and go, yeah, I watched that on March the 25th. Wow. And I said it was three and a half out of five. And that will refresh my memory of like, oh, yeah, I remember it now because you can go in and see all the actors, directors, et cetera, et cetera, behind the film. It's a great little tool. Should be a neat thing. Maybe it still can be. You can sell it to me as a neat thing one week. What that's given me is a project for this year and i've given because last year one of my other resolutions was i want to fill me oscar gaps and we did that as part of the show we once did we hit lockdown but this year i've got a new little side project which some of the films if they impress me we will talk about on the shows going forwards and i'm going to go for world cinema because it brings up a map in the stats showing you which countries you've seen films from and which you haven't and i've got a substantial part of the world that is absent of any films that i've watched so i'm going to dig into there and pick out a, f a few films test out some of the highest rated films from every country and try to make that whole map green that's my project for this year and talking of projects for this year uh with what we're doing on film file we've got some well some hopefully some interesting news for you ready to land uh we're going to hint at it we won't give you any details yet but we are moving to radio as soon as we can be allowed to give you those details we will but we are uh, the film file is going uh, is going to be broadcast, as well as, of course, staying as the ever-friendly neighbourhood podcast that you know and you love. It's so exciting, isn't it? It, it is. There's a lot happening. It's a good job that he edit them afterwards, because we do like to keep this PG and sometimes borderline PG-13. <laughs> we, we've always been pretty good on that. <laughs> the stuff that I take it out, that, that I take out, sometimes takes it to an R and a definitely NC-17. <laughs> so... <laughs> So it is a good job that we don't do this live and we do edit it afterwards. <laughs> it's really funny you should say that because I, I oh. don't remember much of us, uh, uh, much as of ever swearing, but clearly we do if you're having to uh, spend that much time in the edit. <laughs> Usually it's some of our, some of our twisted humour at times comes out. I see. And th I mean, th there was a few times last year where either me or you said something and then started laughing. We need to remember, we can't say that on air. Let's take that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking of on air, in this show, we'll be bringing you, of course, the news. Andy and I will be looking through our reviews, which we've got plenty. Stuff that's happened over Christmas, such as Soul, Midnight Sky, Wonder Woman 84, and Baby Teeth. But first, you can't ignore it, because it's still happening. The news, as brought to you by Andy Meakin. So... I've got a lot of Warner Brothers news to work through today because uh, they've been quite 
prominent over the past few weeks since we've been off air. I've not heard about this uh, Warner Brothers news, so I'm really intrigued from the get-go. I'm hearing this for the first time. There's multiple things that have happened. I mean, first of all, obviously, we had Wonder Woman 84 come out, which we will talk about later in the reviews because I've had a chance to see it. And obviously, everyone, when it first got released in the international waters, we already mentioned that the reporting was very negative, but everyone seemed to be ignoring that cinemas were closed. Okay. And so, of course, it wasn't going to do great internationally. Now, Warner Brothers have gone on record to say that they're more than happy with how the film opened in the States. The press were negative about the international opening, ignoring all the facts that the pandemic had shut things down. But the film's US release saw the best post-COVID opening weekend, beating Tenet's opening weekend, and going some way to prove what we'd said all along. Tenet was not the film to reopen with. This would have been. I feel vindicated now by that. Yeah. I mean, Tenet did 9.7 million on its opening. Wonder Woman 84 did 16.7 million. So it's a substantial difference. I mean, obviously, it's nowhere near what they would have done in normal circumstances. But considering a huge chunk of cinemas were still closed, Warner Brothers are happy with the performance, which means that they probably looked at the average screen attendance figures rather than the full box office, which they get to see what percentage of screens were filled. That's the more important figure at this point in time. And that's where the industry needs to focus right now. They were also happy with the HBO Max results. Over half of the subscribers, 12.6 million, tuned in to see the film. So it's it's been enough of a success for them to green light that next film. So, and I believe that it's done very well uh, down under, so to speak, in uh, in the Antipodean regions, because they are generally still open. Yes, uh, it passed 10 million in the first week down under, which is something that Tenet took six weeks to get to. So anyone who's been saying that this film has flopped, this film has bombed, A, isn't paying attention to the world situation we're in, and B, isn't looking at the right figures, because Australia is the perfect example that they are, they are coming out the other side of the pandemic in a much healthier way than what the rest of the world is. Yes, I've noticed that. I've got I've got family in Australia, and uh, they're surprised at everything that we talk about. Interestingly, around the Wonder Woman release, it flagged up it flagged up some problems that there are within the critics' industries for films. Uh, the review scores for Wonder Woman, the early ones when it came out mid December internationally, put it quite high. It was in the mid eighties to early ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes. As soon as it came out in the US, and so most of them were watching it at home and streaming it, the reviews started to go down, and the overall critic score started going down on Rotten Tomatoes, which resulted in a load of mudslinging going on with commenters and professional blue tick people on um, Twitter who are professional critics for actual journals. And I'm not going to call them out because I think it's childish to name them. But what one in particular went so far to call out Den of Geek calling them something called Den of Geek with question marks, which is basically condescending a professional critic for liking the film. Now, this ignores the fact that Den of Geek is a UK brand. So the reason why they got to see it early would have been because, hey, it came out a week and a half early in the UK. This The Den of Geek has also existed for over a decade and has a longer critical career than the blue tick guy who made this comment was. Right. But this is just a shocking example of how professional critics are less than professional these days. They are casting shade on other critics for daring to like something that they don't. It's an opinion. That's this what it is, is what annoys me. I mean, me and you don't agree entirely, but we respect each other's. This is someone saying, this person liked this film and I think it was rubbish. How They can't be very good at their job. Really? It's been absolutely disgraceful. And obviously... Everyone online has been jumping on one side of the argument or the other. And there's been a few of us sat in the middle going, "Uh, well, we don't want to dare to say what we thought of this film 
because as soon as you do, 20 people jump on you. It's it's a shocking behaviour. We've talked about this online toxicity that's sort of a that's appeared and really grown a lot over the last couple of years, and I th- I think even more so over the over certainly 2020, where where people are more expressive online than they've ever been because that's the only channel that they've got. You know, we review films and we review them as honestly as we can. We talk about what we like. If we see fault in a film, we talk about the fault. We very, very rarely think anything is perfect, even though there are, are films that are, are very, very close to our hearts and that are darn good. We also disagree on, on elements of films, and we approve of our disagreements because it gives, I believe, uh, another reason to go back and watch it and go, well, maybe not that I was wrong, but I'd like to take into account what Andy said about that. Uh, and, you know, it's such a... The reason we love film is it's so personal. We It's like we love music yeah. for different reasons. You don't moan about somebody for liking a song and discredit them. Film is exactly the same. It's a personal understanding. It's what you go into that cinema. I've gone into to, to see a movie in, a, in the wrong frame of mind, come out and hated it, watched it again, and it's and I've changed my opinion of it completely based on the fact that it was the, the state of mind I was in that day. That's how personal yeah. film is. There is no there is no right or wrong answer. There is an educated point of view, and there is is just a, a complete passionate and emotional point of view. But it seems as though the two aren't mixing very well right now. You expect the kind of bickering and like you're you're talking rubbish arguments coming from fan bases because fan bases can be very toxic. They, fan bases find it hard to separate what someone thinks to what is factual. But a professional critic, and I'm not talking a professional internet critic, I'm talking someone who writes for a leading paper who is very condescending. They're the problem. They should not be in that role if they are not going to accept other critics have different points of views. Absolutely. I totally agree. I've said my piece. Okay. I've said my piece. Moving on. What other news have we got? Well, still still sticking with DC, and DC are planning six DC projects per year, up to four of which they plan for the big screen with the rest of them going, obviously, to HBO Max. Uh, this formula emulates how Marvel and Disney are going to be weaving TV and big screen outings. Walter Hamada has revealed that Warner Brothers has the similar plans, albeit without the dedication to shared universe. And that's the key dis- different factor here, is that Marvel has this shared universe that they've established. DC has finally gone, you know what? Let's just make everything its own thing. I guess they're going to play in the, the multiverse yeah. yard at the moment, but we've been saying that for, for, for many, many episodes. So what does that that leave us with? I guess that's the Suicide Squad, uh, the Batman. Uh, they're the two big screen outings for this year, or unless the Batman's pushed through to next year now. You've also got Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is getting rumoured to also be getting a limited cinema release, but it'll be going to HBO Max. So that's three definitely this year. But on years going forwards, they're going to be rolling out more and more plans over the next few months as to where they're going. So we've got the Flash film coming up. Which, with regards to that, you've got that you had the news break that Michael Keaton is going to be the new Batman in the DCEU. It was something taken out of context. Yes, he's going to be in the Flash movie, but there's no decisions as to whether he's going to stick around afterwards. Walter Hamada has had to go on record to say, look, look, you took what I said out of context, guys. Again, this is another example of the media jumping on a story without getting all the facts and everyone reports it as fact, which we'll right. talk about again in a bit. They've not revealed, I mean, this is, this is typical Warner Bros. DC, is that they, they won't reveal the names of all the films until 
it gets closer because they went through it a few years ago where they named like 40 films coming out in a five-year period and then we've had two. So they're, they're not going to rush the nowadays to tell you everything that's happening. They just say that the plan is we're going to work towards at least six DC projects per year. Some of them will probably be animated movies, which they do very well on. They are very successful with their animated on. they got one just ready for a release right now from what I'm, I've been led to believe. They get a lot of, I mean, regardless of what side people sit on, whether they're fans of the CW DC outings or they're the fans of the Zack Snyderverse or the fans of the general movies, every DC fan agrees that the animations are awesome. Yeah, I've enjoyed them. I really have. Yeah, they've done... I mean, some of them, they've adapted direct graphic novels. Some of them, they've done original stories, but they've always had a certain quality to them. It's very exciting times. I mean, this is something we say quite frequently, that, you know, if we had had this when we were we were kids, <laughs> oh, our heads would have exploded. It's exciting times to be a comic book fan. The golden age of, of comic book movies. Now, um, I'm going to lead into... Picking up on what you said about Justice League, there has been some sort of further further tweets going out from Ray Fisher regarding the the head of DC production. Yeah, he's he's gone on the attack of Walter Hamada. I mean, Walter Hamada has now been announced as sticking around as the president for DC Films for the next two years at least. He was just on an interim position, but he's now been given it for at least two years. And that news broke a couple of days after Ray Fisher had tweeted to say that he was wouldn't work with Hamada again and was actually quite personal in his attack on him. Right. And no one knows what set that off because, let's be honest, Hamada had absolutely nothing to do with the Justice League. He only came on board after the Justice League and has been fixing things since. He was involved in heading the investigation into the Justice League thing, which we already reported that Joss Whedon was suddenly... Uh, kicked off his most recent project for HBO Max. So obviously there's been some outcomes from it, but no one knows the details. The details haven't been made public and the outcomes haven't been made public. One thing that seems to have been worked out is that Cyborg movie is no longer happening because Zack Snyder's films are no longer happening. And Ray Fisher straight away jumps onto Twitter to go on the attack again. And we've said this before, he's doing himself no favours He's just causing speculation. He's riling up the fan base who won't even be interested in seeing what the facts are. They just want to believe everything that he's saying. And he's he's making a situation that no one's going to want to hire him. It's making a very difficult situation, much more difficult, by dropping these sort of nuggets on Twitter and then never really explaining them. We talked uh, about Joss Whedon leaving uh, The Nevers, his new HBO series of which yeah. Ray Fisher speculated that was his punishment for the work on, on, on Justice League. Now, we don't know that. Just Whedon's come forward and said, uh, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, stuff happening in my personal life that I, I need to deal with, yeah. I'm happy with what we've done. You know, it's very rare that a, a creative will leave their own show, especially one they've been developing for some time. But it is speculation, yeah. and I think Ray Fisher's now entered into speculation business as well as uh, uh, the condemnation business. And, and it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy no matter if he has got a grievance to, to be airing it in public, because I, I think I think the world's sort of moving on around from around him. I mean, from all, from all intents and purposes, Hamada appears to be doing a good job. All the stuff that he's pitched for where the DC is going to be going, going forward, the multiverse aspect, we're going to make the films be their own thing. We're not going to try to copy Marvel. Great, finally, someone's doing it. Fisher attacking Hamada is basically having an attack at the person who was only heading up the investigation and who knew nothing about either party in the whole thing. So he was an independent, yeah. pretty much. I just think that this all shows bad on Fisher himself, and it makes him 
unmarketable. It makes him unhirable. And it whilst the core Zack Snyder fan base will be like, give him it, give him a new film, give him his own film, he's great, he's great. Sorry, but you're not that big a fan base as you think you are. And Ray Fisher's career is now gone. You won't see him again. No. Shame. Shame to see a young actor throw his career away like this. But if you're going to use Twitter as a mouthing ground, you need to be careful what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On a similar subject, Zack Snyder has made it clear in a recent interview that there are no plans for him to make any more films for DC, although the door is still open and he isn't opposed to the idea. Got the full quote from him. Look, I never thought I'd be here doing this. I didn't think I'd be finishing Justice League. The truth is, and it's been widely reported, and I have no issue, this is an old movie. This is a years old movie I'm working on. The DC universe has gone and branched off and done its own thing, and that's fine. And I say kudos to him. You know, you know I'm not his biggest fan. I, I have heard. <laughs> <laughs> you know that I loved his earlier stuff, but his DC stuff has not resonated with me, and his ego has always seemed to be in the way. But this is the most humbling that he's ever been. Yeah, and I'll agree with you, Andy. I mean, I, I, I think the, the stuff he's done in, in, in the DC universe has generally, for me, and this, again, is a personal opinion, uh, has been disappointing. And the the best work he's done is up to Watchmen. Um, and I still think Dawn of the Dead is his, is his strongest film. Again, this is just evidence that he's been given this chance, like we said, to just finish the film that he wants to finish. This was his chance to wrap up his stint in the DC. And he accepts that. He accepts that the films are now no longer representative of anything that he did. So this is his own thing. He's now going off after this anyway to be battling the zombie with his Army of the Dead film, which should be coming out soon, hopefully. But that's also got spin-off projects for Netflix that he's going to be behind the scenes on either as producer and some of them potentially directing and writing. So I think it is about time for Snyder to step away. It is about time for him to go and do other things. And let's be honest, when the guy tackles zombies like he did in Dawn of the Dead, oh. Yeah, I've got to be honest. I'm looking forward. I really am looking forward to to Army of the Dead. It's uh, it's It's got a lot of the uh, boxers ticks for the kind of movie that I like. As I said, loved his Dawn of the Dead. think it's fantastic. Yeah. I love the idea of a heist movie. It just ticks those boxes. So that and, and, and the offshoots from it, really looking forward to. I might get to be a Snyder fan again. Hey, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> who'd have thunk it? We've come full circle. Uh, so moving away from DC and Warner Brothers, uh, AMC Cinemas, who we've been reporting quite frequently, have been struggling during lockdowns. Uh, they've had to do a refinancing via a share sale in order to remain solvent. They are really going in a bad way. That's a shame. And if, if international... Because AMC also have cinema chains in other countries, including the UK. And with everywhere locked down that they own properties of, they are struggling and they're an industry giant. So it's not good for them that they've had to do the share sale. It does keep them solvent for a bit longer, but it is. it does feel at the moment that all this news of refinancing that's been going on and the new loans getting took out by Cineworld, et cetera, et cetera, is all just, it's just trying to put, put corks in the holes of the boat as more holes are appearing further along. This boat is going down and we need to get out of this lockdown and we need people to obey the rules and get us back into a better situation so that we can get out of the lockdown. Otherwise, these industries are gone. Yeah, and it's it's so sad. And it is worrying. And as we've said before, the the biggest threat is is not just to one cinema chain, it's when one goes down, then there's unfortunately going to be a domino effect off the back end of it. Is there any good news out there? Well, it depends what you mean by good news. I mean, 
Dick Donner has plans for a fifth Lethal Weapon film. As I said, is there any good news out there? (laughs) I I don't know whether you caught this news about Richard Donner wanting to... He's got ideas for a fifth film. He he announced it as he's turned 90. He's announced he's got another film that he wants to do before he... He's an institution. Do we want a fifth Lethal Weapon film? Having seen all four films back-to-back last month, I say no. (laughs) I know. Because that fourth one was absolutely terrible. We talked about this in the last show. Uh, how much of a yeah. huge fan we were of the, the Lethal we- Weapon franchises, and especially one and two. And I'm a massive Dick Donner fan. You know, the man directed one of my all-time greats, and that's Superman the movie. Uh, and we'll stick around for anything that he does, but not only is is the franchise now too old, uh, Mel Gibson is, 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 is past it. Unless they're going to do something that revitalizes it, I can't see a way of doing Lethal Weapon We've gone back and talked about revisiting franchises, which, to be honest, sometimes need put into bed. Murtaugh was retiring on the first film. Yeah, now, it was his 50th, Surely by something? now, based on that, yeah, surely by now he should be, you know, pretty much dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, surely he's not still working for the force. And, and Riggs is now in the, in, the, in the age bracket that he'd have retired. No, it, it all feels... I, I'm sure he's got a great idea. And I'm sure that the fourth film was a great idea, but it ended up bogged down. But if you think about it, it's still going to be another two years. It's going to be another two years before this film sees the light of day, before anything. So um, as much as I like the Lethal Weapon series, it's it's time time to put it to bed. In the same interview, he did, he did have a little bit to say about the bleak superheroes that we get these days, because this is the guy who gave us Superman the movie and set the idea of what a superhero on screen should be. And his his quote, there are so many people that make superheroes so cynical, it's depressing. When they're dark and bleak and angry with themselves and the world, I don't find it entertaining. I think there's enough reality going on for that. We just got over four years of that. I think we crave the opposite. When you see it done right, by my standards, it's so fulfilling. I'm very happy and proud when I see them. When it's done wrong, it's such a disappointment. And he then went on to say that Patty Jenkinson's Wonder Woman taps into the essence of his films. And again, we're going to be talking about that um, in a little while. I've got a little bit of news for us. Uh, We mentioned this a few weeks ago. Uh, I've not had a chance to see it yet because it only just landed for me today. Uh, Neil Marshall, we said, uh, had a new film that he'd been directing over the last few weeks now. Uh, His last film was The Unfortunate Hellboy, but he's done a lot of TV, uh, including uh, Game of Thrones, Lost in Space, uh, and Westworld. But his new trailer for a film called The Reckoning has landed, and uh, it's out there for all to see. Starring somebody called Charlotte Kirk, who has has been uh, referred to as infamous. So I had to Google who Charlotte Kirk was, having never heard of her. And apparently she's had lots of um, apparent affairs with heads of uh, film studios. So uh, that will garner the film some amount of publicity. But I'm looking forward to it. I do like Neil Marshall. Um, Whoever Charlotte Kirk is, bless her. See how she does. He's an interesting creative voice in the industry. And it was a shame what happened on the Hellboy film because you read about how he basically had it taken off him. It's another one of those examples where he has a vision and then the studio has a different vision and it clashed and caused problems. And I'm glad that he's back on his feet and he's bringing his own unique style to films again. I'll keep a look at, I'll check that trailer out and keep a lookout for that. Yeah. Um, Rubik's Cube movie. Yeah. I, I, now there's a film to play with. Hey, it's had to get that in. Hey, 
Hyde Park Entertainment and Endeavour Content are teaming up for a film and a game show based on the puzzle toy. Like a game show based on it? I can see it. No, I, I definitely can see it. I can see how they would do it. But I'm going to let you explain because I'm, I'm assuming the, the Twitterverse and, and fans alike have, uh, have, have been throwing their hands oh, up in the air up. about uh, what kind of a film the Rubik Cube's movie is going to be. Yeah, there's no details about what the film's going to be. But pretty much everyone commenting on it from the standard Twitterverse to your professional critics and media reporters have been hinting that this is scraping the battle and comparing it to films like the Emoji Movie as what a stupid idea, what can you do with a Rubik's Cube? And they're missing the point that over this past year, a TV series about chess tournaments was a huge hit. <laughs> a TV se- if someone had said to me at the start of last year, you are going to watch a TV series about chess and you will love every minute of it, I'd have been like... <laughs> Really? Chess as a TV series? And yet, Queen's Gambit turned out to be an amazing drama. And I suspect that that's what a Rubik's Cube movie is going to be. That it'll be something looking at the rise of the toy mania of it during the 80s and the competitive tournaments that spun off from it. Because there were were actual international tournaments on Rubik's Cubes. So let's stop with this whole thing of assuming the worst of a project until we know the details of it. And yeah. let's stop Let's stop with this whole assuming that there's no original ideas in Hollywood anymore because no one's done a Rubik's Cube movie. So this is an original idea. Yeah, I'm, you know, until it's out there and we know what it's about, uh, until we've seen it and reviewed it, what can we say? We know nothing about it. It's nothing that we, when we said many times, that we dislike more than just um, speculating negatively speculating. about a project. I'm talking of speculating. Um, there's a, an apparent sequel in the works to a film that I never saw which no one ever thought there would be an apparent sequel for. Uh, Apparently, Robert Rodriguez says anything is possible for a potential sequel to Alita. Now, you liked Alita Battle Angel, didn't you? I caught it when it came on to home release. Quite enjoyed it. I wished I'd have seen it on the big screen to properly appreciate how it looked and appreciate the vibrancy of the whole thing. And I do have a soft spot for Robert Rodriguez. It's an interesting universe. I'd be interested to see if they will spin it off. Uh, I'm I'm not convinced that we, I want it for Disney Plus. Because that's where apparently it's going, isn't it? It's not getting a, a, a cinema release. It's a Disney Plus project. Yeah, if 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 it goes ahead, um, it will more than likely be a Disney Plus. Now, I get why, because it wasn't a box office draw. It didn't make the money that it needed to on the big screen. It did well enough, but not as much as they thought that kind of film should have done. So Disney Plus does seem the natural avenue to go down. But... I think this Disney Plus is getting is getting quite packed with content now, and I think it'll just get lost within it. Yeah, I think uh, that it will get it'll get lost and buried. One thing to on the subject of Disney Plus is that we reported when I did the breakdown of all the announcements last month that Star was going to be going internationally, and Star is their aspect that's going to be bringing Hulu, Fox, and the more mature and adult content to the service. Well, the UK has got its launch date. Yes, I saw this. And that date is February the 23rd. So from February the 23rd, a new little box is going to appear on your Disney Plus package, and that will have Star on it. And inside that, you will find old Fox TV shows, all the Hulu shows, all the FX shows. So there's going to be a load of old content dropping on there, and then there'll be new content getting dropped onto there on a regular basis, the same as Disney Plus has been doing. Wow. It does mean an extra £2 per month is getting added to the cost. If you are currently locked into the 12 months, if you paid for the 12 months up front and you're currently locked into that, you won't get charged extra for what's remaining of your 12 months. If you're not currently subscribed to the 12 months, subscribe to it this month before it goes up in price next month. Well thought. And you will have it for the next year at that lower price. 
But yeah, £2 per month to add in a whole range, and it's a huge range of content that they can bring. It it basically makes Disney Plus not be just the family-friendly material. It can have anything from the Disney and Fox umbrella. Exciting times. Looking forward to it. Uh, just a couple of quick ones before we wrap up the news. Uh, Reese Darby starring in pirate comedy Our Flag Means Death, and this is by... Uh, a film file favourite. Taika Waititi. Oh, don't you just no. love him? I mean, he's teamed up with Reese Darby multiple times through the years. Reese Darby was, well, he, he was the leader of the werewolf pack in um, What We Do in the Shadows. It's a marvellous fact, which we've still not seen the spin-off of. Yeah, apparently there was, that's, that was going to happen, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm sure that that will at some point. It's just that Taika seems to be doing so many other things that everything gets a bit muddled. Uh, but this one is for HBO Max, and it's loosely based on the true tales of Stead Bonnet, who was an 18th century aristocrat who became the captain of a pirate ship known as the Revenge. I mean, even the true life story sounds comical. <laughs> <laughs> I love the whole idea of an 18th century fop <laughs> try, trying to be a pirate. And uh, you know what to expect from Waititi and Darby. You know what kind of approach they're going to be doing it. And I'm going to be on board this ship. Excellent. YTT's directing the pilot once Thor, Love and Thunder wraps. And Darby is also in YTT's next film that's coming out called Next Goal Wins, which is about the American Samoa soccer team who suffered the worst loss in World Cup history. So YTT, like I say, he's a busy boy. There's been some, well, sad news. And it's it's made sad by the absurdity of it over the last few days. Um and it's not the way that we would want to remember, unfortunately, this, this, this actress. Yes. Tanya Roberts was reported on Sunday having passed away. At the age of 65, wasn't it? So she's not, you know, yeah, very, very young, really, in this day and age. You know, she was the Bond actress in A View to a Kill. Uh, she also was the, one of the stars of that 70s show. She, yeah, she was iconic on screen and... It was reported on Sunday, and we were all very saddened by the news that she passed away. And then on Monday... It got weird. It got weird, because then we were told, uh, no, she's she's not dead yet. She is in hospital, and she's not in a good way, but she's not dead. Why is everyone saying she's dead? And so we were all like, oh, um, right, okay, how do I feel about this now? And then, yesterday, it was confirmed, no, nope, no, nope, she is dead now, she's dead now. And it's like, well, when, when was I supposed to feel, when was I supposed to grieve... And who yeah. was supposed to be checking these facts before reporting it? And it's it's sad news that she's passed away. Um, her cause of death was a urinary tract infection, which spread to her kidney, gallbladder, liver, and then bloodstream. And I can relate to that. I, I had one about 20 years ago that caused me to collapse. I was hospitalized. I lost so much weight through it. But luckily, they managed to find it. And it, you know, it, it impacted on my long-term health i've i've not been as healthy looking i used to be quite healthy looking and spelt uh, but things like that knock your body back so i can relate to that but it had spread significantly with her and got into a bloodstream and a horrible horrible way to die but more horrible with the way that it's been reported because it's made it into a, it's made it into a monty python sketch sadly yeah it has it's and you can't help but in your head quote the uh, monty monty python sketch along with it yeah disappointing it's always sad that we lose somebody and it's all more so by the fact that this it's almost made a mockery of her of her death and and people will always refer to her as the woman who died twice no we, no it, it's not something we should laugh at but this is again just like we keep saying is that the press and the media are supposed to do their jobs and research facts 
and get actual stories and not just take a rumour that someone else has reported and jump on it and broadcast it without checking up on it first. Because that's the only reason that this went so wide on Sunday that she died is because one source says, oh, yeah, she's passed away and no one bothered fact-checking. Yep. So every news outlet is responsible for this. Every news outlet who reported on it without going, hang on a minute, we've not been told directly. Let's hold off on this. And there you have it, folks, the news. So if you've stayed with us this long, I'm hoping that means that you're enjoying the show. And if you are enjoying the show, then please uh, get in touch with us, drop us a line and hit that subscribe button. And please, please, please leave a review. And if you do want to reach out to us, and we'd be very glad if you did, you can do so via Twitter at Filmfile UK, Instagram, Filmfile UK, or email us podcast at filmfile.uk. Tell us anything that you like, anything that you dislike. Ask for our opinions on something film related. Hey, Ask for our opinions on the lockdown. It's not like we won't share them. <laughs> Just get in touch with us any way that you want. That gives us multiple ways to get through. But that new way is the email podcast at Filmfile UK. And there you go. Just reach out and touch with us. Also, we're on Instagram. So you want to see some nice, pretty pictures about the Filmfile team? You can do so there. Right. It's a new year. It's a new format. And we are jumping straight into a whole barrel of reviews. Some of us are jumping in naked, which is not something you are going to see on Instagram. So Andy's going to kick off with uh, a Wonder Woman 1984 review. Now, Andy, you've been very, very lucky to see this in advance because it has been out in cinemas in the UK. We get it streamed in the UK sometime this month. On the 13th of January. It's going to be a busy weekend that weekend because uh, you're going to Wonder Woman 1984 and then uh, One Division on the 15th. So I won't be leaving the house. I can't leave the house anyway. So what am I talking about? So yeah, over the Christmas period, I I, I saw I mean, I saw Wonder Woman 84. I also saw Cats. I just need to get this out of the way that I got around to watching Cats because that landed on Now TV. And was it as bad as I expected? No, it was worse. <laughs> Thank oh, man, you. That was a bad film. Do you remember me saying I had to watch it? Yes. I had to see it for all the newspapers and all the all the radio stations getting in touch going, is Cats as bad as everyone thinks it is? Yes, and worse. Oh, it, it, if I hear the word Jericho said one more time, I'm going to break things. <laughs> oh, what a film. When I said that I was going to watch it, the wife looked at me and went, why? <laughs> I was just like, because I feel that I need to. But you anyway, do, don't you? well, it's like watching a, it's like watching a uh, a train crash. It, it's and it's in slow motion and very very some very bright colours and some very iffy CGI. You just sort of stay with it until until you can you, your eyes yeah. are bleeding and you can't turn away anymore. It's it's the equivalent of catnip. It sends you kind of crazy while you're doing it. Now, however, I saw Wonder Woman eighty four. Diana, your time will come, and everything will be different. ready you'll become a legend wonder woman 1984 and look let's look back to the first wonder woman that was the high point for me of the early run of dc films it felt like a very different universe than the dark tinge snyderverse 
although it did struggle with that final CGI creation battle in the last act, which pulled it down a bit. But the film did well. And finally, this sequel arrived after months and months and months of delay, delays to the release. Wonder Woman 84 sees Wonder Woman secretly fighting crime in the 80s. She's an enigma to the press. She passes her non-costume time working with historical artefacts. And when one artefact is found that can grant one wish at the cost of something else, it sets off a chain of events that impact on Diana's heart, her close friend, and the world when Max Lord, a struggling entrepreneur, uses the stone to build his own power. This film is comic book fun. It channels Dick Donner's Superman throughout. It's vibrantly presented. And whilst it's not perfect, it, it certainly doesn't suffer from the tired big battle third act that let the previous film down. This film just goes pure comic book this time, as we get invisible jets, lightning storm lassoes, and, well, I'm not going to spoil everything. Suffice to say that one moment of the film is a pure reference to Donner's Superman. I've heard as much, and I've heard it is a love letter to, to Richard Donner's Superman in many, many ways. I've not had the chance to see it yet. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I would love to have seen it like you on the big screen. But it's just not not. I'm just not going to be able to see it until it's it's released on VOD. I I rewatched Wonder Woman over the Christmas period, and I really like it. It's smart. It's vibrant. It has one thing that's been missing from a lot of DC films, and I've talked about this many times. I felt it had heart. I thought it it yes. it, it felt alive. It felt fresh. Patty Jenkins did a, a fantastic job with it, and and everything I've read about. Wonder Woman 2 is that it's uh it's is to some extent more of the same with Patty Jenkins on a on a bigger palette uh but I've also read some negativity about it that it's too much of a comic book movie which seems to be an absurd thing to say uh, it, this is the pr problem is that people were expecting a continuation of the dark Snyderverse kind of approach but DC's so far past that Aquaman already set the tone as where they were going from that point onwards and this is very similar to Aquaman, that it embraces the comic book aspect. It embraces some of the, the ridiculousness of it, but it has so much fun with it. And if you embrace the fun and try not to bog yourself down too much in the detail, it's an enjoyable and really pleasant film from start to finish. I had a lot of fun with it. And as a family, we all enjoyed it. My youngest son turned to me right at the end of it and said, that was really good. And that was a moment that was akin to how I used to respond to my mum when she took us to see something that really struck me as a child. And to see my own children embracing comic book mythology in the same way that I did, it made, it made me feel I've done something good as a father. Um, now, as an 80s set film, and there's been a lot of commenters out there who criticised one aspect of the film, and that's the lack of 80s tracks within it. It seems that a load of people went to this wanting to hear, you know, some wham, maybe some pet shop boys. Bit of Duran Duran. Maybe, uh, you know, let's have loads of 80s music because that's the important thing when you're making a film, isn't it? To have <laughs> the soundtrack. No. It, Patty Jenkins has stated that the film was made to feel like an 80s film. The 80s setting is one thing. And, it, you know, the 80s setting gives the Cold War aspect that was going on. It gives the Middle East crisis that was going on. It gives the the, the pyramid schemers aspect is in there because Max Lord is basically trying to do a pyramid scheme to start off with. All of that is in there because it's very 80s in feel. But it's made to feel like a film from the 80s. And films from an era don't have to have the music from that era. 
Me? No. Remember how everyone moaned that Mank didn't have all the different songs from that? Oh, they didn't, did they? They didn't moan about that. <laughs> Why didn't they moan about it? I don't get this. And there is one, I mean, a few commenters stated that it's quite categorically that there is zero, actually zero 80s tracks in here. So everyone's just ignoring that Frankie Goes to Hollywood Exist and Welcome to the Pleasure Dome was a track because that is used in here. And I was blown away by it because you never hear Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. Yeah. And for them to pick that and not relax or two tribes, marvellous. We don't need 80s tracks in a film if the film works. Instead, we get a beautiful score from Zimmer. And again, this is someone who I don't generally resonate with. I don't particularly like Zimmer's scores. I've not over the past 10 years, he's been too much noise, mainly because of his um, Christopher Nolan films yeah. that he's worked with. It's bang, bangs, crashes, and loud noise. But here, he weaves a majestic score that enchants. It drew me in. And it, it felt, again, like a John Williams score on Donna's Superman. And if you think about it, Donna's Superman didn't have uh, a, a pop music score. There's one track no. in it by Supertramp, which has been played on a radio, but it's not even featured in it. It's uh, you, you, you had a big superhero score. You don't need a song yeah. to, to talk about. You don't need era. a song. A forced inclusion of tracks just to be gimmicky can bog a film down. And for me, I mean, if we take the example of Captain Marvel, which don't get me wrong, I enjoyed Captain Marvel, but the music choices in that were a bit too on the nose girl power. As far as yeah. I'm concerned, no, I, I don't need, I'm just a girl belting out just to make make me go oh this is set in the 90s oh and she's a girl oh you don't need it it's it makes it too forced instead just deliver a fun fun film and with a great score i mean i've listened to this score on the soundtrack album a few times since and it it just hits your heart it carries you along and as i'm listening to the score the score makes me remember the scenes that it was it was composed for and that's a good score. So we're saying a, a, a big thumbs up then for Wonder Woman 1984? It gets a solid thumbs up. Um, is it flawed? Of course it's flawed. There's the body swap elements that leaves a few questions, which has been speculated online, because uh, how Steve comes back in this is basically Quantum Leap-esque, in that he inhabits someone else's body. The thing is, again, people looking at it going, oh, this is a film from, from today doing that. And it's a bit dubious because what's this other person doing at the same time? Yet people are still wanting Quantum Leap to come back and quite happy it's happening <laughs> there. This is a film that emulates the 80s films. And in the 80s, body swap kind of comedies were done quite frequently. And you're never bothered about the nitty gritty detail. Like I say, enjoy the overall film. Don't bog yourself down in the detail. Some of the effects work suffers from that plasticine people issue that DC seems to have. But you know what? I was having so much of a blast with it by that point. My only regret is that, you know, the cinemas are shut and people can't go and rush to see this on the big screen how it's supposed to. Because this is a marvellous looking film. The finale is less battle and more heart. And Pedro Pascal is absolutely engaging as Maxwell Lord. He's a fleshed out villain that you actually can understand why he is who he is. And that helps a lot. It's a fine entry into the post-Snyder era of DC. Just before we leave it, uh, Kristen Wiig. I mean, I was so pleased when they announced her as Cheetah. And I like what they did. They did the sort of the updated recent Wonder Woman look for, for Cheetah. How, how does she play out on it? Um, I, I'd like to see her come back into the franchise later so they can really use her. I feel that she was in there mostly for comic effect early on. And her story was kind of interesting but not focused on enough i think there's potential with that character but we didn't quite tap into it but 
this is Wonder Woman's film. This is this is Wonder Woman's heart. She's again like with the first film. She's the heart of the film, and everyone else around her is just to help her take her next step in her journey. I've got I've got love for Kristen Wiig myself. I think that she did a sterling job with what she had, but I do feel they could have done more with her. Right, that's Wonder Woman 1984, which I am eager to see, and I'm slightly jealous that Andy's got to see it first. <laughs> My review up next is The Midnight Sky. This appeared on Netflix uh, over the Christmas period. The year is 2049. After a global devastation that's left the planet basically unhabitable, a reclusive scientist played by George Clooney, who also directed the film, races to stop a team of astronauts who are returning from a deep space mission and will be doomed if they return to Earth. In our galaxy alone, there are billions of stars. At least one of them has the potential to support life. I've been thinking a lot about time. Why one person lives a lifetime, and another only gets a few years? We made a promise to our families. You want to be an explorer? Ah! Cut to my voice! But while you're doing all that, your own life is just slipping away. That's why I have to contact them. Before it's too late. So, as I said, uh, this launched on Netflix, and uh, it, it, it took some time to get around to watching it. Why? Because, well, it's, it's, it's not a happy film. It's very well directed by Clooney. Clooney is superb and has just proved, as we've always talked about, that he's really a character actor disguised as a leading man. Um, and he's charming and he's warm, even in a, a way playing uh, an aging curmudgeon on this. There are not many in the way of surprises, but there's something very, very heartfelt about it and, and quite relatable in the currently, the way the world is, this idea that, that the earth has is, is, is destroyed itself. We're assuming it's some kind of ecological um, ecological factor that's, that's sent the, the earth into this descent. So you've got two parallel storylines. You've got George Clooney in uh, this ice-bound environment trying to reach... Uh, a weather station which has a satellite that can send a message to this spaceship. And then we've got the journey of the spaceship coming back. And this is where Clooney draws a lot on on, on the work he did with Soderbergh on, on Solaris. And there, are, in fact, there are elements that run throughout the film where you think Clooney's uh, uh, clearly gone for some recognisable sci-fi standards. Uh, whether they're Easter eggs or just influences, I'm not sure. And these two parallel stories play out. Um, there's no big surprises in it. It's it's a very interior film, apart from one exciting spacewalk sequence, which had a uh, had me reminiscent of Gravity. But yet, I enjoyed it. And it's it's a mellow film. It's a reflective film um, with no big surprises. And and I've read some online reviews which have said that it's it's kind of it kind of doesn't go anywhere. And, and maybe they're right, but there was something about it that I liked. It had an honesty to it and a, and a charm to it that only Clooney can bring. And for something that is is aimed at a wake-up call about the, the current state of, of the globe and, and its fragile ecology, I managed to see past the depressing side of it uh, and, and relish that it's a film 
about hope, ultimately. Uh, and even though it's not a film where an awful lot happens and, it, and it's quite predictable, it stayed with me after I watched it. And, and I found myself thinking about it and talking about it. And if that's the effect of a, of a film like this, then it's well worth the time to put in and watch it. I find Clooney as a director has a very interesting approach to films. He's, he doesn't make... Fa- Whilst a lot of his films get pitched as like, you know, darkly comic or, you know, engaging dramas, he has a, a, a slow-paced kind of manner to bring things across that doesn't resonate with a lot of people. I, I absolutely adore what he's done as a director. Confessions of the Dangerous Mind sold me from the offset. Yeah. Good Night and Good Luck confirmed that this was someone who I was going to love going forwards. I to March, Monuments Man, he's always delivered as far as I'm concerned. But all the time, I can always understand the people who don't quite engage with his films. He does have a unique a unique eye. He does have a tendency to swing big as well. Uh, and, and, you know, you talked yeah. about all the films they've done are very, very different. But there's always yeah. that little element that I think that, that runs through his, his movies, which is about the human spirit and the human condition and that wanting things to yeah. be better. Uh, the same can be said about Monument Men. Yeah, the same can be said for Ides of March. You know, he, 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 he's not a predictable director, and he, and he does take some, some very, very interesting choices. I liked it. I can understand why people didn't get it. The two storylines between what's happening in space and what's happening across the ice has given Clooney a chance to sort of to aim big and aim on a, on a, on a very cinematic note. And for that, it's just it's just well worth seeing. I've got it tagged on me watching. And I highly recommend it. I'd be interested to know what you think. Moving on to a film that we've both seen, and I, I've got a feeling that we're going to come from two separate ends on this one. Disney Plus unleashed Soul onto us as their Christmas Day present for those of us who couldn't leave the house. This was a film that we know was originally destined for cinemas due to the lockdown and, and the pandemic. It's found its way onto Disney Plus without having to pay, as Mulan did, an extra charge. I see it as Disney Plus's present to us. I liked it, but I've got a feeling, Andy, we're going to go down two different avenues on this one. I remember one time my dad took me to this jazz club. And I swear the next thing I know, it's like this guy floats off the stage. That guy was lost in the music. He was in it. And he took the rest of us with him. Streaming this Christmas on Disney Plus. Yes! Life is full of possibilities. You just need to know where to look. What do you want to be remembered for? Soul. Streaming December 25th. So the story is big, big break for a jazz musician and teacher Joe Gardner, voiced by Jamie Foxx. He's on the verge of death after falling down a manhole, and he finds himself in the afterlife where souls are assigned personalities. From there, he finds himself embarking on a journey to try and return to his mortal coil. I didn't dislike this film. I'll get that straight out the gate. I didn't dislike it. It's a mid-average Pixar film for me. There's something about it that didn't quite resonate or connect with me. And this is strange because this was uh, Pete Doctor. Yeah, who's Broder's Monsters, Inc.? Broder's Inside Out, which is which is absolutely superb, and 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 to me a distant cousin of uh, of this film. He's also like behind on um, Up, and he's he's generally done the ones that have had a good heart to it. And I know that there is heart in this film, but I couldn't quite embrace it. the The tale is quite deep at times, and it draws upon existential aspects, but it somehow lacks the charm of similar Pixar ideas of the past. 
and didn't quite gel. It felt a bit muddled in what it wants to be. Was it a life drama? Was it a wacky comedy? Was it a remake of Heaven Can Wait? Was it a body swap comedy? I don't know. And I'm not really sure that the film knew. And it bounced around in tone too much and didn't quite settle. But maybe that's the point. Because the inspiration for this film is jazz. And I don't know, but I've never really got jazz either. And I've never really connected with that. So maybe this film is perfect. I don't know. It's like you've been <laughs> this reading is the my notes. Got <laughs> it's like you've been reading my notes to a degree. I think we're going to be further apart on this. But I think it is like jazz. And it's it's sort of, there's there's a constant rhythm that runs through it. It has a tendency to go into strangely odd solo sequences. It's always moving. It's got highs and lows. Uh, and some of the pieces don't quite fit together, but you're never not interested. Exactly like jazz. Um, and those are the the aspects that I did like about it was that it, it drew on some big ideas and some some huge uh, ideas about existentialism. Those were and, and the ideas of existence that would have gone over the head for for any six year old who would have just enjoyed the animation. And while we're on the subject of the animation, it is an absolute beautiful looking film. Some of the New York sequences are could have been could have been live action for me. There is that fine line that Pixar are now yeah. drawing between between the fantastic and, and just, just normal visions. If it wasn't for the, the human characters looking slightly cartoony. Yeah, they had that like Pixar say, you look, could have believed, You could have believed that New York was just filmed in New York. It's just the fact that the characters themselves were given that Pixar stylings. For me, it's the existential afterlife and pre-life creations that really captivated me. I thought that they were amazing conceptions. And they were done in that sort of Picasso-esque... single-line drawing of the auditors. Absolutely marvellous. But for me, woefully underused. I'd have loved to have seen more of that. And I thoroughly expect some Pixar shorts are going to be set in the afterlife and pre-life dimensions and I'll be interested to see what they do with them because I think there's a lot of potential within that aspect of the film. So it seems like we're closer to this than I than I thought we were going to be. Um, no, you can't talk about this movie without talking about uh, Soul 22, voiced by Tina Fey, and the idea that, uh, as Jamie Foxx said to her, you sound like a middle-aged white woman. And then I had to check out <laughs> that it was Tina Fey who, who was absolutely perfect for it. I yeah. just, I really liked it. I, I I found it a little bit unmoving towards the end. I expected a bigger emotional payoff for it, which which wasn't there. But at no point in it, even though I, I, I was trying to second-guess the film by seeing how it was all going to um, gonna tie together, it sort of zigzags all over the place and, and has, as I say, lots and lots of really outstanding big ideas. But I still found it rewarding. I found scenes like Joe talking to his mother to be really to be really moved uh the scene between joe and the uh the jazz uh star that he was going to work with about what success meant i didn't quite understand what the message was when i when it ended but i, I never found yeah. that I, I was bored and and it while well, it liked that that big emotional sucker punch that i was expecting and, and to some extent that it was promising the fact that it dealt with such big ideas and was charming if it wasn't if it wasn't fully self-contained as it should be, it never failed to surprise me with, with where it went. Even though it went into places that I don't think it should have gone, I was yeah. still I was still genuine, genuinely pleased by where it went. The film's got soul, but for me, it lacked heart. Is how I'd sum it up. It didn't, like you say, it didn't have that message in there. It didn't seem to have a, a 
it didn't seem to have like a, a powerful resolution towards the end. Like I say, it, it meandered around a bit too much and didn't quite know what it was. And because of that, I did, couldn't quite take to it because I didn't know what it was trying to be. And it's mid-tier. And once I've finished my rewatch of everything Pixar, I'll be able to tell you exactly where it ranks within all the films. That sounds like an episode for, for some time later on, doesn't it? Yeah, once I finish me me full Pixar re- rewatch. But at the moment, it probably sits somewhere around A Bug's Life for me, which is purely middle of the range. Okay. So we've got one other film quickly to talk about before the end of the programme. This is a film I know nothing about, I've not heard of. Uh, it's new to Netflix, and it's called Baby Teeth. Hey, um... I've just been kicked out of my house. I'm trying to put some money together. I hate to ask you, you just seem like a really nice person. How much? I only got 50. 50? That's too much. I can't. If I give you 50, you have to do something for me. How old are you, Moses? I'm 20. 16. 20. I'm 23. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You make a habit of befriending girls that are significantly younger than yourself. Oh my god! You're not obsessed with that boy. She's a smart girl. You are? That boy has problems! So do I! What are you looking at? Will you come to my school formal? Do I have to wear a suit? I don't think so. I'd like to wear one. I'll do anything. Can he please stay? Mila, he threatened me with a meat prong. You threatened my wife with a meat prong? I don't want to hurt you. So don't. Moses! Henry, Henry! Mila should have the world at her feet right now. You think something in you has changed? I have no idea what you're feeling. When I met you, it was like you weren't scared of anything. I don't think the world would be this big or weird. This is the worst possible parenting I can imagine. <laughs> oh, that's very cute. <laughs> yes, now this was a surprise for me. It landed on Netflix, and so with nothing else to do the other morning, I was sat in bed flicking through to see what I could watch before I finally decided to get out of bed. That's, that, that, that's my life at the moment. Watch a film before you get out of bed. Um, and I saw this and I thought, oh, go on then. And I let it run the little trailer that Netflix does in the background. And within 30 seconds of that, I was like, nope, I'm watching this. The film is about a seriously ill teenager who falls for the charms of a small-time drug dealer and user. And naturally, her parents disapprove. However, it soon becomes clear that he has given her a new focus on life and underneath his issues, he appears to genuinely care for her. Watching this film, within that first opening scene, I was captivated. I was hooked and I was drawn into the two leads. Eliza Scanlon plays Miller, who's got terminal cancer. But the scene starts off with her just sat in a school uniform and then this scruffy, tattooed druggie starts chatting to her. And they build up a relationship and they start bantering between them and there's some spark that exists there. And from that point onwards, it was like, I'm interested. Where's this going? The film is sharply funny. It's a naturalistic comedy in there. And it only took the opening minutes to really hook me in. But as the story then explores the broken home aspects that she comes from, including the parallels between the young man's drug addictions and dealing and the mother, her mother's own prescription addictions and her father 
who's a psychiatrist, pushing prescriptions as part of his professional career, it shines a smart spotlight on the hypocrisy that can be shown to those trapped within a cycle of drug abuse whilst being trapped in your own cycle of drug abuse yourself. The relationships between all the characters feels genuine, natural. And there's a point in the film where Ben Mendelsohn playing the father turns around and asks, are we being bad parents here by letting him be with her? Because they realise that the daughter gets a lot of positivity from this drug addict that she's befriended. I've not heard about this film, Andy. What makes it work? The, what makes it work is the heart. It's got a genuine heart to it. You genuinely care for every one of the characters in there. You genuinely feel it, and it comes across through the performances. Toby Wallace playing Moses, the boy who she adopts a relationship with, plays well against her, and he's totally believable. His insecurity is caused by his drug addiction, which leads him to look like he's pushing her away. When he can actually see straight and he starts to show the heart side of it, it shows that he really cares for her, you can't help but be bought into it. It tells a simple story that by the end of it, and the closing moments, if you've not got tears in your eyes, then you you really are dead inside. This is a marvellous film about life. This is a marvellous film about how to deal with undealable situations, such as your daughter has terminal cancer. How do you deal with that? And what positivities can you draw from it? Uh, this is top of my recommendations of the week. It's available on Netflix now. I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. I did not look away from the screen for one minute within the first 30 seconds once I was hooked didn't look away for one minute I was just caught up in this simple lives absolutely brilliant thoroughly recommended Ben Mendelsohn playing the father always great plays a very subdued character here Essie Davis is the mother but this is Eliza Scanlon as Miller this is her film and it shows her range as an actress and if this doesn't really carry her to the forefront in the film industry in the next few years then something's wrong in the world. And that's Baby Teeth, and that's now available on Netflix. And that's it for this week. It's been great to be back. Uh, I'm glad you're well, Andy. I'm uh, glad to see that uh, you survived the festive period, and I'm looking forward to all the stuff that's happening for the film file over the new year. But before we go, and of course, you'd be devastated if we didn't talk about our neat things. Andy, what was your neat thing that you've uh, either seen, watched, played with, uh, enjoyed uh, over the last couple of weeks? Well, there's a lot of watching. The standards started on um, Amazon Stars Play, which is worth checking out, but that's not my neat thing. My neat thing landed on the PlayStation yesterday as their free giveaway for the PlayStation 5 this month. And that's a game that I've had my eye on for a while called Maneater. Now this game, imagine something, imagine Jaws, but you're the shark. That's what this game is. You get to play a baby shark growing up and taking revenge on the people who killed its mother. It sounds exactly like uh, Jaws is told by the shark. Yes. I mean, the framing, I started playing it yesterday and I look, even the introduction bit, which is where you're playing the mother before she gets killed. And it's a, the usual thing. It does a little talk through of how you control it, what you do, what you do. And it's, it uses that as the, the intro to the story. But it's framed as though it's one of these cheap shock TV shows about a shark hunter. And it even does like a, an opening opening theme tune with like this shark hunter who hunts her, like doing monologues to camera and things like that. So it's got that witticism to it. And then you play the shark and it's brutal. 
and you're leaping out the water and dragging people off boats and then chomping them. Or, as I like to do, flip them up in the air and and, and send them flying um, for a a couple of metres before attacking them again. Because I'm brutal like that. (laughs) I didn't realise that Jaws the Revenge could be so much fun to play, because that's what this (laughs) is. This is Jaws the Revenge. (laughs) And you're saying this is free on on PlayStation 5? It's free on PlayStation 5 this month as the PlayStation Plus package, and it's an absolute joy of a game i can imagine it's going to be very repetitive gameplay as it goes through but you know what i'm having so much fun with it i don't care about how repetitive it is this is my kind of game my neat thing this week has been a toss-up and i'm going to hold one back till next week but the more i think about it this this has been so neat because it, it really blew me away and that was not only this season of the mandalorian has been absolutely fantastic um, uh, it's it's moved on the star wars uh, mythology in ways that that you know funny enough you and i talked about we've not just been stuck within uh within a certain a, a certain avenue we're really exploring the world but it's just it's been the best episode of the season and that's the rescue the yeah. surprise cameo at the end uh, if you've not seen it, if you are catching up on it i'm going to try my hard not to uh not to spoil it uh left me floored and it to top things off we got a, a very cool post-credit sequence that's that's just badass and it introduces into opening up the Star Wars world. It's been a, it's been an absolutely fantastic series, and who would have believed that it's that it's made for TV because it is so cinematic. And while it's 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 been true to its um, its Western spaghetti Western roots, this one made me feel like it was uh, uh, a classic seventies war film in the uh, in the mold of where Eagles Dare. And of course, there was that yeah. uh, appearance. It's it's just such a good series. It's fun in exactly the way that Star Wars is. It's opened us up to a galaxy far, far away, more so than Star Wars has. It's the true contender to be top of the Star Wars tree for me. I can't wait to see what Lucasfilm and Disney are going to do with some of the other uh, Star Wars series that are coming to Disney Plus over the next year, but the 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 final episode of The Mandalorian is my neat thing. I, I can't I can't say anything except agreement on everything that you've said with regards Mandalorian. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, season two, yeah, we, we commented a couple of episodes ago that it was clearly setting up. It was setting up spin-offs. It was setting up other spin-offs, and we know that now. But you don't care because it's been so much fun. And like you say, it's moved away from the Spaghetti Western to be a more broad action-adventure homage kind of show. Can't wait. Can't wait to see further. And Pedro Pascal, once again, he was in Wonder Woman. Absolutely magnificent. And even beyond behind a Mandalorian's mask. How brilliant is he? Excellent. That's it for this week. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Can't do this show without the man on the other end of this wire, Mr. Andy Meekin. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure and love doing this show love that we're back into it me too we'll see you soon and remember this is the way <laughs>